Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's start tonight with uh, Mark chapter 11. I have in my heart to teach one of the most basic principles of faith and receiving from God that there is. And um, can't talk about faith or get very far talking about faith without getting to the 11th chapter of Mark. Mark chapter 11, we'll start reading in verse 12, read a couple of verses and then skip over and pick up the story as it continues. Uh, verse 12, and on the morrow when, he, when they were come from Bethany, he, speaking of Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now skip with me over to verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedest is withered away. Now, the King James is a little bit um, uh, unclear here as to, to really what's being said. I'm not sure if these were the literal words of Peter or if these are the translator's um, interpretation of what Peter said. But you could well understand that Peter is, is implying, at least, if he never really verbalized it, he's at least implying that there's a question associated with this. I mean, there would be no sense for Peter to say, oh, look, the tree you cursed yesterday is dead. Jesus doesn't seem to think that that's the purpose for his, his comment because Jesus explains something. The implied question in my mind is that Peter is saying, how did that happen? Now, you know, I, I don't want to get sidetracked on this and spend a lot of time on it, but it's an amazing thing. This is the last week of Jesus' life here on the earth. This is the um, uh, two days after Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem triumphantly and everybody, you know, waves the palm branches and puts the coats in the way of the, the little donkey that he's riding and so forth. And it's an amazing thing if you think about it. How in the world could the disciples have walked with Jesus for three years and not know the answer to that question? Somebody hadn't been paying attention. Wouldn't you agree? But then, at any rate, Peter's question is implied. How did this happen? This is a supernatural occurrence. Things like this don't happen on their own. What took place? Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, of course, Jesus is not finished talking, and he tells about how faith works in prayer, and he tells about how important it is to forgive and walk in forgiveness when you're operating in faith so that your faith will work effectively and so forth. But I want to take just verse 22 and verse 23, kind of lift that out of its setting and, and use that as Jesus' explanation for what happened. Because you can clearly see in the preceding verses that we read, when Jesus came to the fig tree, he spoke to it. He didn't pray about it. He spoke to it. So whereas Jesus goes into greater detail about the operation of faith and, and how it works in prayer and so forth, and, and the number one obstacle, the number one thing that will keep it from working, tonight I want to just deal with what Jesus said about the words that you say. Notice Jesus said in response to Peter's implied question or statement, this is something out of the ordinary. Things like this don't happen on their own. Well, what happened? A fig tree died but not a natural and normal death. It dried up from the roots, which would indicate to me that it was something similar. The closest thing I can uh, come up with to, to compare it to as it is, would be as if the tree was struck by lightning. 
I mean, one day it's alive and full and, and it's got leaves on it. It's got everything it needs except fruit, which is supposed to produce. And the next day, it looks like it's been dead for years. This is not a gradual occurrence. This is an overnight thing. And everybody knows, even Peter knows, that trees don't die like that on their own. So he realized that something about what Jesus did the day before is connected to this tree. And Jesus answers and says, yeah, it was faith that did it. Notice that faith changes natural circumstances. Sure did for Jesus. Notice also Jesus did not say, yeah, this worked because I'm the son of God. The implication is, or the implied subject of the, of the sentence of Jesus' answer is, you have the faith of God. In other words, this is something you can do. This is something that you can bring about. This is something you can operate in. You have the faith of God. And then he tells them how faith works. He tells them what he did to cause the fig tree to die. He shows what he did to bring about a supernatural occurrence that changed the circumstances that faced Jesus. Well, if it will change the circumstances that faced Jesus, and Jesus tells us to have the same faith that he used, which means we can, then it will change circumstances that face us. Well, how did it work? He said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever, that means it will work for whosoever, not special ones, not just him because he's the son of God. He didn't do something that, that the disciples couldn't do on their own or else Jesus misled them by what he said. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Notice the first thing Jesus mentions about the faith of God or the faith, uh, another translation says the faith um, of the God kind of faith, the same kind of faith that God has, which you could well understand the faith of God would be the God kind of faith. What is the faith of God? But it has to be the God kind. If it's his, then it's the only kind that he has. So some translations say, and we generally say, have the God kind of faith. Here's what the God kind of faith does. And the first thing Jesus mentions about the God kind of faith is what it says. Is what it says. Notice he did not say, Jesus did not say, guys, you've got a lot more to learn before you can do this. Clearly, they've got a lot more to learn because they don't even know the source of this. They don't even know what caused this tree to dry up from the roots. They heard what Jesus said, but they didn't register on them. They didn't stop the day before and say, wow, Jesus' words carry power. Every time Jesus speaks, things happen. We need to watch for this tree. It seems that they're surprised, at least Peter is surprised when they come by the next day. And that was the source of his statement. Look, Jesus, the fig tree which you cursed yesterday has dried up from the roots. Is that a coincidence? Apparently not. Jesus said that it's faith that brought about the results. And the first thing he says about faith is the words that you speak, the words that come out of your mouth. For whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say. Now, it doesn't just work on trees. It works on anything. Jesus used a mountain as an example. Well, a mountain's bigger than a tree, isn't it? Why would he not say, Faith works on trees. If he had said, whosoever shall say unto this tree, then we would have to say, well, we know that faith works on trees, but how else does it work? But in fact, Jesus used something that was bigger, a bigger obstacle, a bigger problem, a bigger circumstance than the one that he just changed to show that faith is a principle that will work on anything, any natural circumstance, any natural hindrance that's in your way. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now, if he just stopped right there, then we'd had it made. 
If he had just stopped there and said, look, whatever you say will come to pass, everybody would be willing to try it. But that's not what he said. We sometimes say that Jesus gave the principles of faith and the principle of faith is you can have what you say. But that's only half the story. You can only have what you say if you fulfill the requirements that are listed later on in the verse. It is conditional. If Jesus had just said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea. If that's the only thing that he said about it, people would be rearranging the earth every day of their lives. But there's a condition. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And. And. Well, what's the and? The and is the condition. The and is, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now, what does it mean to doubt in his heart? Notice he goes on further and says, but shall believe. Well, if he's talking about doubting in the heart, he's got to be talking about believing in the heart then, doesn't he? It wouldn't make sense for him to say, and whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe with his head. What things soever he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. That wouldn't make sense. If he's talking about doubt and believe, he's got to be talking about doubt and believe from the same source. Because those are polar opposites. So what does it mean to doubt in the heart? And what does it mean to believe with the heart? Well, the Bible gives us a clue. It defines it for us. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, Peter says, talking to husbands and wives in their relationship, he talks about the hidden man of the heart. And then he defines what that is. He says that it's a spirit. It's the spirit of man. Now, he talks about the characteristics of the spirit that he's encouraging the wives to demonstrate. He said, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, even that ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So what is he saying? He's saying the heart of man is the spirit of man. But I like the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired him to say that it was the hidden man of the heart. Because if we just talk about the spirit of man, people get all kinds of ideas. Most of them incorrect. And besides that, how would we know how to believe and or doubt from the Spirit if that's all the information that we're given? But the fact that the Bible says that the heart of man is hidden, that clues us in on some truth. How is the heart of the Spirit of man hidden? What's it hidden from? It's hidden from the five physical senses. It's hidden from the outer man. Paul called the Spirit of man the inner man who's hidden from the outer man or hidden from the five physical senses. So if we plug that definition in, we'll see what Jesus is talking about. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his spirit, but shall believe in his spirit, independent of his five physical senses, that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Let's break it down a little bit further into terminology that we're more apt to use. And whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt according to what he sees and feels, but believes independent of how he feels or what he sees, believes that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now this is a very important subject, folks, because you've got to realize if the condition is speaking either independent of or according to. Independent of is believing in the heart. 
according to what you see and feel is doubting in the heart. If that's the key, then you know right away what the devil's number one way to attack you is going to be when it comes to the subject of faith. He's going to try to get you to speak according to what you can see and feel. Every time. Why? Because that's the condition that keeps faith from operating effectively. That keeps what you say from coming to pass. The devil's number one way of attack when it comes to the subject of faith is going to be to try to get you to talk according to how you see or what you see and how you feel. And it works that way every time. So let's go back to the top. Jesus said, have faith in God. Here's what the God kind of faith looks like. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou, and be thou cast into the sea. Now, where do we say that from? We say that from our hearts. The spirit of man, independent of what we see and feel. And he said, if we believe in the heart that what we say will come to pass and refuse to say anything based on the circumstances, then we'll have whatsoever we say. Now, where are we going to get the kind of faith that's necessary to speak independent from the five physical senses, independent from what we see and feel? Well, Romans ten seventeen says, Paul told us by the Holy Ghost, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So basically what Jesus is saying is whosoever shall say and believe what the word says about his words and refuse to speak according to the circumstances, that man's going to have whatsoever he says. That may seem like a lot of steps to us, but Jesus made it seem very simple. He just said to the fig tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Now, what did he say that to? He said it to a vibrant looking tree. He spoke death to a living tree. Now, if it was most Christians that I know of, most of them would have looked at the tree and said, wow, you sure look healthy. Because they would have spoken according to what they saw. Jesus saw the circumstances, but knew there was a greater principle that controlled the circumstances. What is that greater principle? Well, the Bible says even in the Old Testament, God said to his people, I will deal with thee according to the words that you speak in my ears. In other words, you'll have what you say. This is not something that started when Jesus came along. This is something that God set up from the beginning. He gave man the ability to control his world with his words. That's how he made man the God of this world originally. That's how he gave Adam dominion over the works of his hands. How did Adam control the earth before he fell? Through his words. How do we know that? Because he made man in his image. God created the world with his words. He formed the world with his words. And he gave man dominion over all the works of his hands. Which means man had the same control over uh, to the degree that God gave it to him. Man had control over the earth according to the same manner or measure or method that God created the world. And that was with words. Why? Because he's made in God's image. He's a spirit being made in the image and likeness of God. So this is not a new thing. This is not a new thing at all. This is something that the Bible says controls all of mankind. So Jesus, knowing that, looked at the fig tree and said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. You had your chance to produce fruit. That's it for you. And the fig tree obeyed the words that Jesus spoke. And that's what was such a shock to Peter. Look, master, the fig tree's dead. And Jesus answering said, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. 
Here's how the God kind of faith operates. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And, here's the kicker, anybody can say it, but here's the kicker. And shall not doubt in his heart. Shall not speak according to what he sees and feels. In other words, continue to hold fast what he originally said to the mountain. Why? Because the Bible says, the Bible that produces faith says that God will deal with us according to the words that he hears us say. So we believe in our heart, believe independent of our circumstances, believe no matter what we see or feel, believe what God's word says, that our words shall come to pass. That man, the man that fulfills those conditions, that man will have whatsoever he saith. And Jesus is saying the sky's the limit. Not one word is in verse 23 about the will of God. So many times Christians want to get spiritual and you know, spiritualize everything and, and get a real spiritual attitude and say, well, that'll, of course that would be true if it was the will of God. Do you see Jesus taking an E in front of the fig tree and asking God about cursing it? Jesus is the one on the earth with authority. Jesus delegated that authority to mankind. You're the one that decides what you're going to have in your life, not God. He'll back you up if you meet the qualifications and hold fast to what you say according to the, to the terms of Mark eleven twenty three. But you and I are the ones that decide what we're going to have in our lives. Now, let's prove this out. Look back with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 tells us the story of the woman with issue of blood. I don't know about you, but I'm not too concerned about moving trees and mountains. But I am concerned about other circumstances that the enemy brings against me. Mark chapter, 11, Mark chapter 5, excuse me, beginning in verse 25, it says, In a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. In other words, whenever the Bible says in a certain woman or a certain man, it's saying this really happened. This is not some fairy tale. This is not a parable. This is a real life event. Real woman, real condition, real results. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all she had, And was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, or it's literally the word power, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? The press is the crowd. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, or pressing up against you. Everybody's trying to reach you. Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? That's King James English for saying, How in the world are we going to find one person that touched you? Everybody is trying to touch you. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now, notice what Jesus said in verse 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague or thy sickness. Now, notice Jesus said that the operation of what this woman did and the things that that she brought about through her actions and through her belief and so forth was her faith. This has got to be the same faith that Jesus is talking about over in Mark chapter 11. There's not two kinds of faith, at least from God's perspective. The same faith that Jesus, or the same thing that Jesus identifies as faith in Mark chapter 11 or Mark chapter 5 has to be the faith that Jesus is describing that killed the fig tree 
in Mark chapter 11. What do we know about Mark chapter 11 faith? Well, Jesus called it the God kind of faith. Well, if that was the God kind of faith and it's based on what you say and believe in your heart. And here this woman believed something in her heart when she heard of Jesus. She came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said. That's talking about believing in your heart and saying with your mouth too. So notice here's a woman. We don't even know her name. Here's a woman operating in the God kind of faith. So the God kind of faith is not just reserved for special ones then, is it? We can't say that the disciples, Jesus and the disciples had this kind of faith and nobody else could have it. Because here's a woman that Jesus doesn't even identify by name that's operating according to biblical principles. She found out, she seems to know more about this than the disciples did over in Mark chapter 11. Now, if it's her faith that made her whole, if we examine what she did and follow her example then we can expect to get faith to work for us in whatever area we apply it, can't we? Sure we can. Jesus didn't say, oh, you're the special one that I was looking for today. He had to hear the story, found out what happened, and said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. What did she do? Well, notice, let's go back up in verse 27. It said, when she had heard of Jesus, again, I'll refer you to Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word. Well, we know in verse 34 that she has faith. We know that faith comes by hearing because of Romans 10, 17. So she had to have heard something. She had to have heard something. What did she hear? She heard of Jesus. I assume that means that she heard of Jesus in his healing ministry. Because that's what she came for. She had to have heard something about Jesus. She had to have heard something about people being healed by touching Jesus in some form or another. Because she says, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. So first of all, she heard of Jesus. Then she acted on what she heard. Now notice what the Bible says. It tells us a couple of things. It says she heard of Jesus. She came in the press behind because she said something. The second and third steps are inverted. It should read like this. As far as the chronology is concerned, she heard of Jesus. She said, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And then she acted on it and came to where Jesus was. The reason she came is because she began to say. She heard of Jesus, began to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And then she acted on that. She came to where he was. Now, what what do we know about her faith that brought about the results, the healing results? We know that she spoke according to her situation. What she spoke is what she believed. What she believed is what is a result of what she heard about Jesus. In other words, we could say it like this. She spoke the word into her circumstance. Jesus was the word of God made flesh. So when she hears of Jesus, she's hearing of the word of God. She spoke the word of God into her circumstance. Notice the Bible doesn't tell us what she thought. Notice the Bible doesn't tell us what she felt. Other than when, she, when the healing power of God went into her, she felt that. But notice there's no mention whatsoever of what she thought or what she felt. It just tells us what she heard or that she heard. And that she began to say, "And uh, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And then it tells us that she acted on what she believed. That's all it says. Now, you know as well as I do, just reading the story, here's a woman with issue of blood, which makes her unclean in the eyes of people, which means she can't mix and match with people. She can't mix in with crowds. 
She's just as unclean as a leper would be. She has no social life. She has no relationship with anybody other than maybe her closest family members. We don't even know if she has any family. But it's not like she can go sit with the ladies and talk about her situation. She's unable, according to Jewish law and Jewish custom, she's unable to go and mix and match with, mix in with, mix and mingle is what I'm trying to say, not, not mix and match. She can't go in to any crowd of people without identifying herself, and most of the time that would cause them to chase her away. The crowd would either leave where she was or force her to leave where they were. So she's alone in this. She's tried to, to get help from doctors. And they couldn't help her. And after 12 years of having this condition, the doctors have given up on her. And she's spent everything she has. So now she's not only sick, she's broke. How would you feel if you were in that situation? See, most Christians that I know of would have taken the same situation that's described here in Mark chapter 5. And they would have cried to the Lord, please, please, please heal me. Notice it doesn't say one word about her prayer life. Jesus didn't say because your prayers have been effective effective, and because you've been praying for 12 years and because you've heard over this thing long enough and God has finally felt your pain, that's why you're healed. That's not what it says. It doesn't matter how much she's heard over this. She spent 12 years in a terrible situation. I doubt very seriously if it would be a stretch to say that she's prayed before. Who would be in this situation and have some any kind of faith or trust in God, any kind of knowledge of God, and not pray? Are you with me? But notice nothing is said about her prayers. It's not like when the angel appears to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and says, your prayers and your alms have come before God as a memorial. Nothing like that is said to her. Jesus says that her faith made her whole, but her faith was demonstrated by what she said. Not anything she felt. Not anything she thought. Her faith was demonstrated by her words and the action that those words caused. Folks, it always comes down to one thing, and that is, what are you saying? And what's the basis for what you're saying? See, a lot of people are talking about their situation. They're talking about their circumstances, talking about how hard it is. Oh, Pastor Mike, I've just had such a rough week. Well, I'm sorry for that, but how is that going to help anybody? I mean, if I cry with you, you may think I'm a good guy, but I haven't helped you. And then what are we going to do? Maybe I had a rough week too. So you're going to tell me yours and I'm going to try to outdo your story? I see that in a lot of Christians. I see that in a lot of people talking about the circumstances and then people start trying to one-up one another and I think, what a waste of time. Because none of it matters as far as getting results. Oh, yeah, but Pastor Mike, the Bible says Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Bible never says that Jesus feeling your infirmities and touched with the, the feelings of your afflictions and so forth is the answer for your situation. It just says he feels them with you. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. Because for, for many people, many Christians, maybe even most Christians, it's all about how they feel and want to know that God feels their pain. Notice Jesus did not say, Daughter, I feel your pain. 
He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. And remember, faith is of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. Hidden from the five physical senses. Faith is of the spirit, independent of what you see and what you feel. So basically, I I hate to put it in these terms because I know it makes some people mad. But the fact of the matter is, faith has no bearing on how you feel whatsoever. Faith doesn't work because you feel good. And faith doesn't fail to work because you feel bad. Faith is not affected because you have a good week. And it's not made ineffective because you have a bad week. Faith is based on one and only one thing, and that is your words spoken from your heart. Now, let me tell you something else about faith, and I found this out through the years. And that is faith, since faith is of the heart, God looks on the heart, the Bible says. Faith will not work if you're trying to manipulate God. See, a lot of people will hear the principle of faith. They'll hear the the catchphrases, you can have what you say, so they start saying it. But they're not saying it from their heart. They're saying it because they're trying to manipulate something spiritual, some kind of spiritual action to get the results that they want. But they don't really believe independent of the five physical senses. You see that a lot of times when you pray for somebody and the next day they'll say, let you know and they'll call me or, or write me a note or whatever it is and say, well, Pastor Mike, you prayed for my healing last night, but I'm still just as bad as I was this morning. We can tell right away that they weren't believing independent of their five physical senses. They weren't believing independent of what they see and feel. They were trying something out. Jesus did not say, have faith in God, for whosoever shall try this out shall get the results. God knows whether or not you're saying something, trying to make something happen, or if you're saying it because you accept the word of God to be true. And it only works if you accept the word of God to be true. That's why the conditions are what they are. Not just say, speak to the mountain or claim your healing, but shall not doubt in his heart. Shall not doubt in his heart. That's the man that gives results. The man that refuses to change what he says and what he believes when the circumstances change or when the circumstances fail to change. Are you out there? So Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Well, if her faith made her whole, won't your faith make you whole? What if, but Pastor Mike, maybe there's, a, maybe there's some information missing in this story. Then God did us a great injustice. The Holy Ghost is part of, partner to a fraud. Because if there's more to this story and the missing part of the story is what makes it work, then God sure did us wrong by not telling us what the end of the story was. Wouldn't you agree? Because when I see this woman getting results, I think, well, if she got these results, so can I. If I do the same thing she did, I should be able to claim or expect the same results. Well, if the missing information is the reason she got results and we're left out of it, then why did the Holy Ghost give us the record he did? What did she do? Notice she's got an impossible situation. She's got a hopeless condition. But she hears something. What does she hear? She hears that Jesus is healing the sick. She must hear that people are being healed by touching him. Because that's what she has faith to do. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So what does she do? She hears of Jesus and she makes up her mind. I'm going to take what I hear. I'm going to take what I've heard about Jesus 
And I'm going to inject that into my situation and in my circumstance. Notice she didn't make excuses for why it wouldn't work for her. You know the people that get results? They're the people that take the word of God personally. So many times people will hear a testimony and they'll say, well, yeah, that worked for somebody else, but that won't work for us. Or they'll read something in the scripture and say, well, yeah, of course, Jesus did that, but you can't do that. And the disciples may have done that and they may have gotten results, but that, that can't be us. Or even the people in Jesus' ministry. This woman got results, but that was because it was Jesus. Folks, if the Bible says you can have something, you can have it. If the Bible says faith brings results and, who, and faith belongs to whosoever, then your faith can bring you results. So what did she do? She took what she heard and she applied it to her life. Yeah, but I thought the doctors had given up. They have. Well, maybe this would work if she hadn't had this condition so long. That didn't seem to deter her. She's had this situation for 12 years, and she hears that Jesus is healing the sick. Now, folks, you have the opportunity to hear Hebrews 13, 8, which says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means Jesus was no more a healer when he was here on the earth than he is today at the right hand of the Father. Now, what you do with that is up to you. Just like what she heard about Jesus, what she did with it was up to her. I'm sure she's not the only person out there that's heard that Jesus is healing the sick. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that heard Jesus was healing the sick that didn't receive healing for themselves. And if that's the case, if we assume for the sake of argument or discussion that that is the case, the only conclusion we can come to as to why that would be the case is that they didn't do what she did. Two people hearing the same thing don't have to take the same action. We see the action that brings results. She heard of Jesus and let it affect her situation. She applied the word of God to her situation. How do we know? Because of what she said. She said if Jesus is healing other people that are sick, then all I have to do is touch them like he, touch him like they did. That must have been what part of what she heard. All I've got to do is touch him like they did and I can be healed too. Well, that's going to demand action on her part, isn't it? I mean, it would be one thing to say, if I can ever touch Jesus, I'll be whole, and then sit at home, isolated from the world, and say, I don't know why I'm not healed. Well, you just said that if you can touch him, you'll be healed. Now she has to go to where she can touch him. Doesn't she? That's what she said. If I can touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. So what does she do? She came in the press behind. Now, what was the source What was the origin of the action that she took? The faith that she put in what she heard about Jesus. How do we know she believed? How do we know it's faith? Because of what she said. Jesus identified it as faith. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. The application of what she heard that resulted in the words that she spoke, which led her to take the action to come to where Jesus was. Jesus identifies all of those things as faith. What kind of faith? As we said before, it's got to be the same kind of faith as over in Mark chapter 11, the God kind of faith. Isn't it a marvelous thing to know that, a, that an individual, a human being, can operate in the God kind of faith? And the Bible makes it simple enough to identify in just a few steps. 
Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of that plague. Turn back with me to the Old Testament. Let me show you that this is not just a New Testament experience in Jesus' ministry. In Numbers chapter 13 in the Old Testament, tells us a story of when the, the uh, children of Israel come to the edge of the promised land. It tells us about how that when they come to the promised land, God instructs Moses to send one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel over into the promised land to, scout, uh, to spy out or scout out the land. And so they took uh, the 12 going to the promised land secretly. And they come to a certain place and they cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bore it between two people, two men, upon a staff or a stick. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And everybody was amazed because they, the, the fruit of the land was so abundant and so large and bigger and better than anything they ever had known of. And so they returned to Moses, it says in verse 26, and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. God said that it was a good land flowing with milk and honey and boy, here's the, here's the proof of it. And they, verse 27, and they told him and said, we came into the land whether thou sentest, in other words, the promised land. And surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Verse 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. Verses 27, 28, and 29 are factual statements. They're factual statements. Their job was to go into the promised land. The 12 spies were supposed to go into the promised land and come back and report what they found about the land. That's what they're doing in those three verses. They brought back the fruit and said, well, we found out it was a land flowing with milk and honey just like God said. But there's people that live in there. And some of the cities have big walls around them. The children of Anak are there. The Amalekites are there. The Jebusites are there. The Hittites are there. Man, this land is crowded and overflowing with people. And all of them are our enemies. Now, what is taking place here? They have the circumstances that they're going to have to make a determination based upon. Now, they've already been told in the promised land, or concerning the promised land, they've been told several things. They've been told it's a land flowing with milk and honey. They just proved that to be true. God told them through Moses before they ever got to the land that the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Amalekites and all these other rites are there. That should not have been a surprise to them. And I doubt very seriously if it was a surprise. I don't think they came back and say, well, we thought the land would be uninhabited, but there's people living there. If the land's uninhabited, who's growing the crops? How could it be a land that flows with milk and honey if somebody's not there taking care of and growing the stuff? What did they think? I don't think that they thought it was uninhabited. I think that they understood, just like God said before, on several different occasions, not just once, but several different occasions, that he would deliver the land into their hand. See, the promised land was twofold. Number one, it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. But number two, it was a land that belonged to them. How could it belong to them if all these other people lived there? Because God said he'd be with them and drive those other people out. That's the part that they seem to let go of. 
Now, like I said before, concerning the woman with issue of blood, I'm sure there were other people that heard of Jesus healing the sick that did not receive the healing for themselves. Because they did not let the word have the same impact on them that the woman with issue of blood did. They didn't take the same action based on what they heard as she did. Here's another example. Notice in verse 31 it says, And Caleb, he's one of the twelve, stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Notice what Caleb is doing. Caleb is saying the facts don't outweigh what God told us. They just confirm it. God told us that there were people that lived there. He told us it was a land filled with milk and honey or flowing with milk and honey. This is just the way God said. This is the land that he said belonged to us. Let's go take possession of it. But the people hearing and seeing the same things that he did. being aware of the same circumstances that Caleb was aware of, took a different approach. But the people, or I'm sorry, verse 31, but the men, that means the other 10 of the other 12, 10 of the 12, Caleb and Joshua stand alone. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Now can I ask you a question? Is that a true statement? It's not true that the people are stronger than them because God was on their side. And 40 years later, their children drive out those people from the land. So just because it looked like they were stronger than them doesn't mean that they were. Just because it looked like the other people were stronger than Israel doesn't mean that they were. Why are they drawing this conclusion? Because they're refusing to let the word of God be what they speak into their situation. They're speaking according to what they believe. But what they believe is according to what they see and feel. They're speaking from their heart. But it's doubt in the heart. Not faith of the heart. What's the difference between doubt of the heart and faith of the heart? Which side you take based on God's word? If you're speaking against what God said. That's doubting, of your, doubting from your heart. If you're speaking in line with what God said, like Caleb did in verse 31, or verse 30, I'm sorry, that's faith of the heart. Notice both faith and doubt speak. The only question is, what do they speak according to? Caleb spoke according to what God said. Ten of the twelve spies spoke according to what they saw and felt, based on the circumstances. And they brought up an evil report. Notice what doubt of the heart is called. God calls it an evil report. And they brought up an evil report. Now, folks, there's no point in us getting into a discussion about what's more evil. One thing or another thing. Evil is evil. They didn't come back telling dirty jokes. They didn't come back cursing. They came back speaking contrary or speaking against what God said. And God calls that evil. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. How'd they do that? Saying. What'd they say? The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Now, folks, there's a lot of falsehood in those statements. It is true that in their sight, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in comparison to the, to the strength of the armies of the other people. 
But that's not how the other people saw them. We're going to find out 40 years later, if you read the story through, you'll find out 40 years later when two people are sent in to spy the land after spending 40 years in the wilderness, the city of Jericho and the people of Jericho have been wondering, where have you guys been for 40 years? We're afraid of you because we heard God parted the Red Sea from, uh, to deliver you way back when he delivered you from Egypt. That was 40 years earlier from the point in time they told the two spies. That's at this point in time. The people that they're thinking are, are uh, looking at them with disdain, stronger than them. They're afraid of Israel because they've heard what God had, had done to deliver them from Egypt. But they, made, they based their belief, they created, and based the, created a belief, accepted a belief based on circumstances, not based on truth. Well, what is true? What's true is it's a good land, land flowing with milk and honey, and it's their land, which means it's not the land of the people that, that look like are inhabiting the land. Well, that's just the 12 spies. Ten of them are bringing up an evil report of the land. Caleb and Joshua are bringing up a, a report of faith, a good report. But the people haven't decided yet. But in chapter 14, verse 1, the people make their choice. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and against the whole congregation and said unto them, Would God that we had died in the wilderness. And notice they're speaking too. We've got, so far we've got three reports of what people are saying. Caleb says we can take the land. The ten spies say we can't take the land. The land will eat us up and the people are stronger than us and we're like grasshoppers. Now the people are going to speak. The third group of folks are going to speak and that's the congregation. That's the millions of people that have been led out of the children, led by the hand of God out of Egypt. And so what do they say? They say, oh, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Well, it's too late for that. God's already delivered them. Or would God that we had died in the wilderness? God can make that happen. That's exactly what happens. And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Their wives or their children at least are the ones that take possession of the land in 40 years. Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, he's also one of the 12 spies. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake. Notice Caleb and Joshua are speaking together too. And they spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. Well, that's what God said. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and he will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. In other words, Joshua seems to be saying, you can still turn this around. You can change what you believe about this. You can go back and remember the promise of God concerning the promised land and we can turn this thing around and take possession of it. It's not too late yet. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. Notice speaking against God is rebelling against him. It's an evil report. And it's rebelling against him. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. Why? Because we're great and strong? No. Because the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But the congregation. Bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation. Before all the children of Israel. 
God starts protecting Moses and, and Aaron, the ones that are standing up in faith. And God says, um, well, let's skip with me over to verse 21. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. This is God speaking. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened unto my voice. I want you to notice something else. The ten spies that went into the land are the ones that are speaking against God's promise. God calls that ten separate temptations. Notice when you speak against God, when anybody speaks against God, God calls it tempting him. So when you speak according to how you, what you see and you feel, when you speak according to the circumstances and against God's word, that's tempting God according to his definition. Surely, uh, well, let me read verse 22 again. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened unto my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provokes me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he, wherein he went, wherein too he went, and his seed shall possess it. And then God speaks to Moses about the congregation in verse 28 and tells Moses, Say unto them, say unto all the people, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. In other words, their words are governing their future. Their words are governing what they're going to receive. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save or accept Joshua or Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones which you said would be a prey. Them will I bring in to the promised land and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty days, each day for a year shall you bear your iniquities, even forty years, and you shall know my breach of promise. Folks, I want you to understand something about this story and this situation. I know I'm out of time, but let me wrap this up real quick. Everybody in this story got exactly what they said. Because what you say is what you believe. Whether it be according to what you see and feel or according to the circumstances. Or according to what God's word says. No matter what the circumstances look like or no matter how we, what we see or how we feel. Everybody in this story got exactly what they said. Everybody in the story. I wonder if it's any different today. It's not. Everybody gets according to what they say. Because it's the principle of faith. It's the principle of dominion that God gave unto mankind. You are judged according to your words. By your words you shall be justified, Jesus said. And by your words you shall be condemned. Your words govern your future. No wonder Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. 
Because when she said, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. That was her faith speaking. If that God kind of faith can move mountains, it can change situations and circumstances in your life. What do we do, Pastor Mike? Find out what the word says about your situation and start saying it. And refuse to say anything to the contrary. Yeah, but what if things get worse? Keep saying what God's word says. Yeah, but what if we don't feel the same tomorrow as we feel today when we're saying it? Well, I can guarantee you, you won't. But keep saying what God's word says. Don't let anything ever make you speak contrary to what God's word says. Because God's word cannot fail to come to pass. That's going to be the number one way, the major area that the devil attacks you. He's going to try to change what you say. Because he knows that we're governed by our words. Why? Because God made us faith children of a faith God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the principle of faith that we have the privilege to operate by. Thank you, Lord, that when we say to our mountains, be removed and be cast into the sea and refuse to speak anything to the contrary, no matter what it looks like and no matter how we feel, thank you, Father, that our words come to pass and we have exactly what we say. Therefore, we say from our hearts, no matter what the doctor's report is, we say that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. We say, Father, that by the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through the finished work of Jesus, we reign in life over sin, sickness, and disease. We declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. No matter what it looks like, no matter what's going on in our bodies, we declare that healing is ours because Jesus purchased it for us. We also declare, Satan, we put you on notice that we understand that it's impossible for you to cause the word of God to fail. God's word is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never fail. God's word concerning healing will never fail to come to pass for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.